We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello, it's another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm the impossible co-host, Ben Raginton. <laughs> and tonight we'll be scattering ourselves across our own time streams so that we can bring to you our uh, wrap-up of, of, of The Impossible. No, no, no. The, uh, the name of the Doctor, the series finale. The Impossible episode. That's just plot points you're talking about there. But that might be getting ahead of ourselves. So uh, we'll start the episode with a little bit of a disjointed summary of the episode. The story starts a very long time ago on a planet called Galavre, you may have heard of it, where the Doctor and his granddaughter are stealing a TARDIS. Clara is there. We see a montage of Clara there with Omega and the Doctor and with, with Dragonfire and the Doctor and with the second Doctor running across Malibu Beach and a bunch of other places. And she talks about how she is the impossible girl. And then we go to the opening credits. And then we cut to London, 1893, where a crazed serial killer is on death row. Very... Madame Vastra meets with him, and he tries to bargain for his life with a secret, a secret of the doctor. What he says disturbs her enough that she has to call a conference call, which is sort of like a drug-induced seance between herself, Jenny, Strax, who's in Glasgow, where he goes on weekends to beat up Scotsman, uh, Clara, who's in the present, and River Song, who is dead and in the library. During the seance, or whatever you want to call it, conference call, Jenny is killed. The seance is broken, and Clara returns to present day, where the Doctor is there, and she tells him about what she's heard, that the Doctor's secret at Trenzalore has been discovered. The Doctor breaks down in tears, but realizing he has to go to rescue Vastra, Jenny, and Strax, he goes to the one place in all of time and space he shouldn't go, his own grave. When he goes, the TARDIS fights him, so he has to crash-land it on the planet. There... Clara meets the ghost of River Song once more, and she leads him, by way of River Song's impossible grave, inside the TARDIS, which has now become a gigantic monument to the dead Doctor. Meanwhile, the Great Intelligence is holding Vastra, Strax, and the recently revived Jenny, so that the Doctor will open the TARDIS for him by saying his name. He doesn't say it. River does, so we don't get to hear it. No shock there. They go inside, and we see not the Doctor's dead body, but the rip in time that is the time tear of the man who's traveled in space and time more than anyone else. And there, the great intelligence reveals his great plan. He's going to kill himself and go into the Doctor's time stream just to make the Doctor miserable. And he does that. And the Doctor is miserable. And then Jenny goes in, and she too is split apart and killed, apparently. Uh, and spread over the time to undo what is being done by the Great Intelligence, and then everything's restored, and then the Doctor goes into his own timeline to save Clara. Did I say Jenny? Well, it doesn't really matter. They're interchangeable characters at this point, and I don't care. And at the end, we meet the another Doctor that we've never seen. The end. Until November. Um, what do you make of this episode? Um, it it half drove me crazy. Which half? Uh, the half with the doctor and every, everything involving that I, I should say the half involving Clara, um, it kind of just made me say, oh dear God, but I was able to just 
accept it. But some of the stuff involving the doctor, um, especially when I tried to pigeonhole this story in the overall continuity that's been going on for the last several years, became extremely troublesome. Oh, there's, there's so much that, that troubles me about this episode, I have to say. I I I tried. I really did. I just rewatched it. I tried, I tried, I tried. Some people just found it an, an amazingly entertaining yeah, a lot of minutes people of town. In fact, I, somebody, um, oh, shoot. I don't remember who it was, but they said that what, what they loved about it is that it added a new layer of mystery. And that was the last <laughs> thing that came into my mind. It added I'll, a new layer of crap. I'll put it in. <laughs> like what it did. For the longest time, I've been using the imagery of Moffat painting himself into a corner. Oh, did he ever paint himself into a oh, corner oh, here? Oh, no, no, no. Oh, it got worse. Well, he, painted he was painting his face while he was painting himself in a corner here. It, it went beyond that. Not only right, had he was painting himself down his into pants. a corner. Now, hang on. Not only did he paint himself into a corner as the series went on. When he realized he was in a corner, he knocked down the walls and <laughs> found another corner behind him that he could continue paint him, painting himself into. Oh, there you go. All right. That's a good metaphor. I like that metaphor. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I wonder how many more walls he can knock down before we get to the end. We'll, the edge, the cliff. Paint yourself to a cliff. Oh, yeah. Well, he could be in the engine room in the TARDIS. That's a cliff, right? Yeah. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about the, the beginning of the episode with... Um, uh, oh, so let, let me say, I, I will say, if, if it isn't blatantly obvious to the listeners that I'm not a fan of this episode either, and for the people who enjoyed I'm not saying that there wasn't some good acting going on there. I mean, Matt Smith crying, you know, um, it was really looked good. like any actor crying to me, but all right, fine. Um, but I just couldn't turn my brain off. I think we've mentioned this before. I'm just incapable of shutting off my brain to let the the scope or something wash over me and this story just was one series of pointless meaningless things followed by another unexplained pointless meaningless things and i just I, I, as an example all right for starters uh why in 1893 would a serial killer know what he knows we'll never that find was out a big one i had a really strange issue with this how is it that he was able to actually have this this awareness of what was going on. I I found that um, what was was it was it his lunacy which al- which allowed him to hear the whispers that he was that he kept uh, alluding to and give him access or give him knowledge of the doctor and his secret. So which version and of Simeon? Which version of, of Doctor Simeon is this? I would say it's the latest, the most, the most latest. So even though it's the one, the one from the future, he's somehow in 1893. So Doctor Simeon can travel in time too, because that's where he extracted Vastra and Strax from, and Jenny. That's where he sent his Whisperman. Yeah, and he is a Whisperman, really. I mean, I, I mean, know, oh, yeah. that's that was so, another. The and then how did they get to Trenzalore? Does he have time and space travel, or does he just have space travel and the Doctor's death? at Trenzalore happens to be 1893. And and what kind of a lame brain lunatic grand scheme is, oh, you've thwarted me at every turn, so now I'm going to kill myself just to make you angry. Oh, it was more than that. He was, he was actually going to uh, 
literally he was going to kill the doctor wouldn't he in every points of his of his regeneration or uh, in, in every every uh, aspect of his life and which of course would create just the most enormous paradox like there wasn't one already in this episode wouldn't it have undone uh, the great intelligence's defeats and therefore his need for his revenge and therefore his, his thing and you and know. therefore he would have no need to have the revenge and therefore the doctor would be alive but if the doctor were alive and oh my god i now have a headache exactly and then all right well i here <laughs> I don't like the notion that, oh, yes, by the way, time travel's always been possible as long as you're in a drug-induced sleep. <laughs> that was... Well, you know, uh, oddly enough, that, that, that wasn't well, bothering was, me so much. What was bugging me was River. Yeah, that too. Oh, How were the they getting one? to her? Okay, so we understand. They knock tracks out. Uh, tracks out. Uh, Jenny, and she she takes the... Or, or, there, there, I'm doing it now. Um, <laughs> Clara takes this, this hallucinogenic... Um, on the letter. So, uh, sophomoric. Sophorific. Sophorific. Seems sophomoric to me. So they're, they're all in this hallucination. Okay, whatever. What about River? She's physically dead. This is a data echo of who she is. I mean, you know, you can get all metaphysical and argue till hell freezes over if, if this is really her soul, her intellect, whatever. It doesn't matter because it does not explain how they were able to retrieve her. And since they can go through time, why not just pick one that isn't dead? Well, pick the one that's got the most recent, no that's got the most knowledge of the doctor is why I, I think that was their motivation. Prior to death. Yeah. I, um, yeah. Well, I think, I do think, oh, I hope. Hope to cross my time, Lord Hearts, and hope that the whole point of having River at this point is to get rid of her once and so. for all. I think so, because at the very end, you know, we're going to jump ahead here, but notice how in every single episode, she's always prefaced things with, hello, sweetie. And in this time, it was goodbye, sweetie. Yep. That I'm going to take that as a fond farewell or not so fond farewell for others to River Song. I hope so. I mean, obviously, because it's a time jump and track thing, they can... He can meet up with her uh, countless times again, uh, and it doesn't make any difference because there is no rhyme nor reason to the uh, River Song story. But I'm I'm hoping that they've acknowledged the fact that Alex you Kingston just is just not no, it, going to be available and is right. just not looking like she's going through her own time stream in anything but a forward no, direction. In fact, when I when I again we're going to jump ahead here. But there's a there's a kissing scene between the doctor and River Song, and I felt a little uncomfortable. It's like robbing the cradle there, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, it was like there's the, something seemed a little statutory about that. It, it felt a little weird to me. That's, okay. That's, well, she's in Cougarton Abbey, right? Yeah. Anyway. Okay, so so let's start back at the beginning. Yeah. There's, there's, there's something at the very beginning of this episode, which then gets repeated later. Oh, the the montage. The montage, and there's something that is said which just bugs the crap out of me. Yeah, we we could spend a whole episode talking about the the implications of that montage, and I well, was kind of saving it for the end. But no, let's go ahead, hit it. Well, no, it's only because it starts. The, it, it's the the episode opens with it, and it's something that Clara says. She says, I was born to save the doctor. I'm the impossible girl, blah, blah, blah. I was there in all parts of his life. The doctor almost never hears me. Yep. Okay. And so then we see all these scenes where supposedly the doctor was in great peril, although some of them I, I was right. just a little, 
Oh, the the scene with in, from the five doctors, whether actually those, yeah, two the, scenes. Pertwee, whether it's the one where Pertwee's driving off. Well, the one where Troughton's running on the beach is uh, yeah, it was actually yeah, that was actually people. outside of unit headquarters. Yeah, uh, but you see these scenes, and and of course, well, one I took, a, I, I was like I said, I was a bit bothered by taking these scenes wholesale and literally changing them to fit the story, taking them out of context. I didn't like that so much. But in terms of the story content, if Clara's mission had been to actually go, you know, split herself into who knows how many pieces in time to be there for the doctor, apparently it was largely unsuccessful. (laughs) Yes. It's yes. Two occasions that we know of. And that's Asylum of the Daleks and the Snowman. So, <laughs> the only two that yes. really matter. And and also, okay, well, we might as well we might as well trash this one apart. So we are told, based on what we actually hear in this episode and what we have experienced previously at the Asylum of the Daleks and the Snowman, is that Clara is born and lives a life, meets the Doctor. Dies, at least in those two episodes. Now, that may not be true in every other instance where she ran into the Doctor, okay? She is split across the Doctor's timeline throughout the entire thing, from one end to the other. And she appears to be roughly the same age in every instance where she meets the Doctor, but we assume that every time she meets the Doctor, she has grown up in another life, because they say she has thousands and thousands of lives. Is it a different incarnation of clara that say runs into the doctor uh in spearhead from space inferno silurians ambassadors of death the sea devils mind of evil uh and all of the pertwee stories that occur months apart if she's at every point in his timeline wouldn't the claras be bumping all over each other you'd think do you think that frankly they just didn't think no, yeah, they just did. They, they just, just didn't they, think. They, they just threw that out there because they thought that would make for a great answer. And and so it starts off with Clara's there. We at the beginning of the story, this episode, I should say, we we feel like Clara's there to to help out the Doctor, like she did in Asylum of the Daleks and the Snowmen, which we know she didn't do in all of those previous. Uh, adventures with with the doctor but by the end of the episode we now know that clara has gone back just to thwart simeon does that mean she actually has to fight him i mean does she like fight him off with a knife and punch him out and have to yeah i'm beating you up or just by being there and going doctor which by the way did you see her do that with the third doctor doctor she calls out to him yeah and he sees her in her in his rear room in none of the other incarnations that we have actually witnessed does she have a clue who the doctor is until she meets him Yeah. Okay. And then also, if she's born and she lives her whole life up to the point where she meets the doctor, how did she get in the sixth doctor's TARDIS? Was she born and raised inside the TARDIS without him knowing it? Does she reach that age that she could be standing there in a corridor looking the wrong way when he walks behind her? There was an implication that she became a companion. Except, obviously, yeah. That she, like, took the place of Perry. Perry. Is that, I'm then wouldn't the doctor have remembered seeing a companion that looked exactly like one of his previous companions i don't know quantum leaping what can i say it 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 really it it was it was pretty flimsy but then again she said the doctor almost never hears her mm-hmm. i mean like what about what about that scene in, uh, from arc of infinity she's like 
on top of some glass and she's looking at the doctor as he, as Peter Davison's doctor was trapped in the matrix as a bit, as he's about to have his mind contact with Omega. Well, she didn't reach him just like she didn't reach Tom Baker's doctor. She didn't reach any of them except for William Hartnell's in on Gallifrey. That was the uh. only one that she had contact with. There's no evidence that she had contact with any of the others based on her own lines. He almost never hears me. Directly contradicting what we know from the doctor's wife. Thank you. Um, yeah. Undermining yeah. Oh, what was a very nice victim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that, that's 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 something that's also bothering me too. But you went back, you know, you, you mentioned the the bit with Doctor Simeon. Okay, so we do get a little glimpse uh, after he steps into the Doctor's timeline. Uh, there are clips of him just, but they're they're just equally doing nothing. <laughs> innocuous. Now I'm standing Clara. in the same place Clara is when the Doctor Precisely. walks by. <laughs> exactly. I mean, the only time we see anything is when he appears to be freezing the Doctor in. The right. snowman. Now that raised a question. If now I, I have not rewatched the snowman, so maybe my, it's changed. Well, yeah, what I was going to say is, wasn't Clara dead by that part of the story when the Doctor and Simeon were having their 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 big confrontation? Um, She'd already fallen out the window, and she was she was dying back. Yeah, at, I think she was dying. Yes. So her role in terms of saving the doctor in victorian london is moot not to mention that split clara already played a part in the great intelligence's own timeline so not only before he before he goes on his revenge rampage he's already been defeated by the clara who is a split that's only caused because of him going on his revenge rampage through the doctor's timeline yeah, they should not. They should just leave time travel alone. I have so said this. TARDIS okay. arrives at a planet. They do, get out, you, do their thing, away. get back in the TARDIS, go, go away. <laughs> I have said this over and over again. Whenever when you use time travel as merely a vehicle to be able to set your story up and then tell it and then be done with it. Fine. But when time travel becomes the essence of the story, it cannot stand up to its own scrutiny. This is a, it, it just can't. This is the same argument that you get in with uh, transporter technology in Star Trek. Think about transporter technology for a few minutes and you realize, <laughs> like, it's just nothing would work the way we think it does. And, and time travel is the same thing, except I think here that Moffat has kind of cracked that nut open a little bit and said look it's a time travel show we should use time travel more than just getting from point a to point b but i i i think that well rtd started that yes well, i'm moffat no moffat Moffitt's, has yeah, hit it with a hammer moffat has completely exploited that idea but it was started originally by by rtd yeah so the the whole going through the doctor's timeline and simeon going through the doctor's timeline it just it doesn't uh, make any sense. And, and, I'll, and I'll go further to say that when Vastra runs outside and the doctor is being unwritten and she looks up and the stars are going out, out. It's like, I'm sorry. Yes. If the doctor hadn't been there, perhaps the Daleks would have waged war across the galaxy and become the dominant life form. But we already know that prior to them being escalated into uber insane Daleks by victories of the the doctor's victories over and over that they just would have enslaved the entire universe not burnt out their stars so 
Is it really feasible to look up at the sky and if the doctor weren't here, all the suns would go out? It was, no. That was that was poetic license. Now, granted, I, 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 I'm going to say this. There were a lot of gimmicks that were used in this episode that clearly they didn't offend me as much as they offended you. I did notice them, yes, but all I did was just kind of shake my head and say, okay, fine, whatever. It's the elements in the story that I have huge issues with. So was a story? Oh, yeah, there was a story. It eluded me on two viewings then. It was just basically a I'm wandering around. Well, it no, the, the story was about why can't the doctor, I mean, what, what, the doctor and his name, the great secret, going to Translore, the fall of the 11th, all of that. I just rewatched The Wedding of River Song. I'm so sorry. Well, I had to. I had to rewatch this because that's where the initial issue or that's where the answers initially came in about the silence. Why did the silence want the doctor dead so badly? And it was because uh, on the fields of Translore at the fall, at the fall of the 11th, a question will be asked that must never be asked. And that, and the silence must never be, no, actually Dorian says must never be asked at one point. He did say must never be asked. Hmm. And it wasn't the answer. It was the question that well, must never be asked. Well, the question's obviously not Doctor Who then. Actually, it was Doctor Who. Well, then how come Dorian says it repeatedly? But it, because he's not on Transalore. The question that must be asked on Transalore. On Transalore uh, at the fall of the 11th. And, of course, being the Doctor, he, this is the, his 11th regeneration. So there was this all this really weird implication I that apparently, what, if the Doctor is... On Transalore, and then the question is asked, what's supposed to happen? Okay, so Dr. Simeon asks the question right in front of the doctor. So what? Yeah. Did it spell the end of the universe? No. Well, actually, kind of it did. Well. I mean, that's what they were showing us, is that, that Simeon was actually wiping out the entire universe by doing this, by undoing well, everything the doctor has ever done. Because, and, and this is the part that really bothers me. I'm sorry, but I can't help but believe that Dr. Simeon and the great intelligence actually kind of knows he's a bad guy. I mean, I know there's that whole, you know, bad guys never think they're bad guys. That's not true. Bad guys sometimes know they're doing bad things. And I don't think that he could sit there and make an argument that says, oh, well, uh, you know, you don't think the Doctor's a blood-soaked villain? Well, ask the Daleks or the Cybermen. I mean, the greatest evils in the galaxy, by all definitions. You just couldn't go, oh, they're just peaceful, peace-loving little Daleks and Cybermen, and he's such a blood-soaked monster. <laughs> like, that was stupid. <laughs> that, that whole speech about what a blood-soaked monster he was, it just it just rang so false uh, to me. Like, yes, okay, you could, if you were a Dalek and you'd say, well, he's mean and he beats us up, okay, fine. But taking their side, I, I don't think Simeon, because, you know, let's face it, if they came across the Great Intelligence, what would the Daleks do to the Great Intelligence? Destroy it. Well, what do you expect from Cthulhu? And She's... I say that because that's who, I mean, that's, that's what the Great Intelligence is, is Cthulhu. He's an elder god from a previous universe. You think? Uh, actually, it's written in, one, in some of the Doctor Who books. Well... Yeah, okay. Um, I'm going to have to not pass the canon test on that, but 
they can't even remember the great intelligence from the old series to the new. That still no, hasn't that's been uh, uh, yeah, addressed. I mean, you start looking at the, the great intelligence in The Abominable Snowman, The Web of Fear. It, it just does not equate. It's, it was like it's two separate entities. And there was a Yeti in one of the flashbacks when Simeon was there. Uh-huh. I didn't notice it the first time. But the second time through, there was a black and white shot of a Yeti. So he was crossing the great intelligence's own timeline there, too. Assuming it's the great intelligence. But it still doesn't answer what the great intelligence was doing in the bells of St. John collecting brains. No. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, no, well, that it, just it seems really like, yeah, that was bad. Uh, it doesn't explain thing. what its motive was. I mean, I, except that maybe it was looking for some form of some type of corporeal form. And it was using that boy, uh, young, young Simeon, as a means to achieve that. But then it really didn't develop corporeal form, did it? I mean, what the heck are those whisper men? I don't know. I mean, I took, when I saw them in the previews, my first thought was, oh, is that the same species that, uh, that, that the trickster from the Sarah Jane adventures is? <laughs> There's a similarity, isn't there? A uh, huge similarity. They're almost identical. And a lot of people have said, ooh, Moffat's created a new scary one, but frankly, no. 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 They were just kind of, kind of. Yeah. Nah. They're just, I know. It, yeah, you know, oddly enough, I actually find uh, the silence to be a little spookier. You know, but the idea of these 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 faceless villains with big teeth with with top hats is supposed to be, you know, okay. Is is it what I call it scary? No, a little creepy. Eh, maybe only in a physical, only in pure appearance. But if you want to, but if you're going to analyze them within the content of the story, they don't exactly make a lot of sense. No, I I couldn't. I mean, unless they're just they're just blanks to make more simians when they need to. I mean, they're unformed. But I, I just, yeah. But so like just like uh, a, more aspects of of simian or the great intelligence. Or the great yeah. intelligence. They're, they're his arms given manifest movement, sort of like the yeti were originally with mm. the snowmen. They're they're his manifest. They're more advanced snowmen. Actually, they have the same teeth as the snowmen. That's true. They've just evolved a little bit and put on top hats and become Victorian gentlemen. Mm. All right, so let's talk about the Doctor going to Trenzalore. Um, you know, you must never go to your own grave. We kind of had that in Angels Take Manhattan. The whole grave thing kind of puts a capper on your existence and can no longer be um, uh, undone, I guess. But we don't really get that with the Doctor's... Um, column of light there why would he die leaving a, leaving a scar on that spot i don't i don't, I don't know that, that. That, was me- that was metaphysical claptrap right ignoring the big um the big chestnut in the room uh we got anything else about the episode up to up to the point where doctor who will never be the same again um uh, quickly running through my notes i mean a lot of it was just simple little little stuff uh one thing that had me kind of um puzzled so i can find where i'd written that down um apparently you know okay so so simeon goes into the doctor's time stream mm-hmm. and according to Vastra, who is looking into her scanner she's saying the doctor is dying and she cites all these points where mm-hmm. he's dying on the asylum of the Daleks. He's dying Andrizani. Uh, on Andrazani. He's dying in com- London. In London. All these places. And and then she you know, she yeah, makes several references to to classic Who. Yet 
Matt Smith's doctor, still very, very much alive, in a lot of pain, even though we see a clip where the doctor is being killed by Simeon in Victorian London. Yet there he is on Translore, still very much alive. Is this like an eye of the storm kind of thing? I think I think it, we can hearken that one back to, say, the five doctors where they were diminishing him and there was sort of a, a dwindling effect that was happening to him. Mm. <clears throat> um, see, even, even I'm willing to try to give him something, some bone somewhere that says, come on, I'll try to help. I'll try to work with you. I'm watching this episode. I'm desperately wanting to enjoy this episode. I am trying like mad to bail water out of this leaky boat well, that I did you've that built. Throughout, I did that throughout the entire time I was watching it again last night. I mean, I kept taking notes, and and every time I would, you know, I, I come up with, oh, was, what's going on here? Is we need it- a bigger bucket, damn it. We need a bigger bucket. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I mean, for example, like like I'd written, the blinking out stars symbolize all the worlds that the Doctor is saved. Does the Doctor being on Trenslore in the center of a bad paradox allow for him to stay alive even though he had been killed in London, according to Vastra? Does that part of himself being kept alive sort of prevent a huge paradox regarding the Doctor's very existence? So see here, I'm trying to explain a way out of it by trying to come up with a paradox within a paradox within a paradox. And all it did was give me a migraine. Mm-hmm. But I tried. You tried. I tried too. I really did. I tried. I kept tripping, but just too much stuff. Just, just doesn't. It just doesn't bear any thinking, any scrutiny at all. And and that's the problem. And, and that, then, that is the problem. And then there was the leaf. Uh-huh. That bloody leaf. <laughs> <laughs> the leaf. The Clara leaf. The Clara leaf. Um. I, 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 the word Clara is actually leaf spelled backwards. Oh, really? Okay. I, I, I thought it was Aralk. That's, uh, that's Scandinavian for leaf. Oh, okay. I'll the take it there. Mm, okay. Um, <laughs> I despised the significance the leaf had in the rings of Akaten, and now I really hate it. How the heck? I mean, why, why, where did the doctor get that leaf? I'm kind of thinking that the leaf is really a... Just a symbol? Not really a The leaf. doctor's time stream is kind of like the Matrix. It, it's really a reality that you can force into existence, and the doctor has created that leaf out of his own time stream or his own memories. You know, oddly enough, I can, I can sort of accept that. So, I can sort of accept that. You know, that because, you know, when you compare to the Matrix, compare, you know, when you consider some of the things that we saw in the Deadly Assassin, hmm, I could sort of accept that. Now, let me now there, there's something else that just that I was just reminded of that really <laughs> kind of bugged me. And that is we're back to River Song. And when the doctor is revived, compliments of Clara jumping into the time stream, splitting herself all over the place, River in this, you know, thinking that no one else can hear her is like, no, doctor, you can't do that. You cannot go into your own time stream. You can't do it. It's terrible. It's terrible. And oh my God, you can touch me. You see me. You hear me. This is beginning to sound like a who song. I mean, what? How? Um, you can play pinball with me. I know. She's a, he's a pinball wizard. So he then says that he could always see her. He could always hear her. He could always feel her. Yet, She's there because of the conference call. Mm-hmm. 
And because she kept an open line of communication, let's think about that one for a minute. With she tells him to think Jenny, about it. I mean, with with with, with Clara. Clara. <laughs> ah, I can't stop. Well, it's because it's Jen Louise Coleman. Uh, but yeah, I keep wanting to call her. Je- I've been wanting to call her Jenny for the, for all weekend. I don't know why. Uh, it, it because of the the open communication through the conference call with Clara. It implies that now River can be there. Yet the doctor says he's always been able to see her. He's always been able to fear, feel her, always always been aware of her presence. That's because uh, Clara's always been with him. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I thought that bit where at the end where she says, yeah, think about that for a second, and I'm not going to tell you because spoilers. Like, I know. Oh, you that was, that was lame. He says, oh, by the way. And, well, that was the other thing. Here she, she's begging him. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. You can't go. And yet she finally says, oh, by the way. Clara's still alive because I had a mind leak with her. If she were dead, how could I still be her? Be here. And he asked her, yeah, how, how could how? you do that? And she says, spoilers. spoilers. It's like, and then she says, bye, sweetie. And disappears. And Hopefully then forever. Yeah, with any luck. So that scene was completely, totally irrelevant. Uh, all of the scenes with River were basically completely irrelevant. It was very little that she had any value to except to say the name of the doctor, which, frankly, you know, as the excuse for opening the door. Uh, oh, the TARDIS can still hear me. Yeah. That's what she says when, and right after the door's open. She's, I'm surprised the TARDIS could still hear me. Okay, whatever. So let me ask you this question while we're on the subject of the TARDIS. So what was all that nonsense throughout Series 7B about the TARDIS not liking Clara? I have no idea. It's like, that didn't pay off. No, it didn't. No, and no payoff on that one. I could maybe see it if the TARDIS didn't like some of the fractured Claras, but why but would she have any problem with the, with the Clara who is actually unfractured? Exactly. The Clara who is trying to save the doctor's life, the TARDIS would know that this is what Clara is trying to do. She was right there and said, hey, take this TARDIS, not that TARDIS. I mean, she should be your best friend. Exactly. So, yeah, that that whole storyline, it, it was it, it was just thrown in there because somebody thought it would be cute without really trying to fit that into uh, the overall continuity of the season doesn't work okay so uh i am gonna i'm gonna say and i didn't do this on the show last week and i i admit that i didn't do this on the show and i didn't uh, i can't prove it and i'm wrong anyway so it doesn't really matter but um i was uh, i had my bets on and i had my i had my number down with my family so that they knew what my position was uh, my thought was based on what we had heard about the 50th anniversary special uh and and the way that they have kind of circuitously said things about the eighth series, uh, my thought was that the final scene, the amazing surprise ending we were going to get, was Matt Smith's death as the Doctor and his regeneration into John Hurt. That was my that was my offline prediction, which obviously is not what exactly happened not entirely and i could make the argument and i was making the argument because it was really irritating my daughter because she really doesn't want the 11th doctor to go i I was making the argument that says you know just because we've seen the 11th doctor in the 50th anniversary we've seen the 10th doctor we just assume he's the current doctor in that story but he doesn't have to be 
John Hurt, who's kind of let the cat out of the bag previously, that he is the doctor in, in an interview that he did. Um, you know, could have been. I, mean, I know Moffat said he wanted an older actor, and I don't know if John Hurt really is in his price range, but who knows? Um, I mean, he's, he's not that famous. Um, <laughs> so, oh, I, well, John Hurt's very well known in genre circles. I mean, but that's not the same as being. A, oh, he's not Derek know. Jacoby, no. Yeah, exactly. Derek Jacoby, no way he'd never he'd ever get them. But John Hurt, I don't know. I don't know. He might he might be in the market for a job. He might want to play oh, Doctor Who. And John Hurt, well, John Hurt did. Uh, it was twice he was nominated for uh, an Academy Award for acting. Was he? What yes, he was. Uh, one of them was the Elephant Man. Was that him? That was, was he, him. He was the Elephant Man. He was the Elephant Man. He he, he looks a lot Homer. different in this. Uh, well, it's called makeup. Well, yeah, it did look like a fake mustache. Oh, stop it. <laughs> that was a long time ago, though. He could be down on hard times. You know, I, I don't know. But anyway. He's not down on hard times. He still makes movies. But when I, but just before the episode aired, um, just before the episode aired, I heard somebody stating, uh, you know, one of those people that says, yeah, 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 reliable source, blah, 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 that, that John Hurt was going to be playing the real ninth doctor the, the doctor the, the real ninth doctor the one which means that christopher eccleston was not the real ninth doctor no he was the 10th he chris uh which 11 matt, matt 12. 12 and that they just sort of through survivor this is the time this is the doctor who destroyed gallifrey and the daleks and that some sort of like mental block or some silly nonsense. Now I'm I'm just reporting that. Uh, I I hope that that's not if if he is I, supposed. I don't think so. If he's supposed to be the doctor who did the time war, then I hope at the very least they just have the balls to say, you know, this is the eighth doctor, and he just kind of got old and ugly. I no, I I don't think so. But I don't I don't subscribe to that i'm just pointing it out because there is a debate going on now oh, as to whether or oh, not that's, that's a future debate. is he a future doctor or is he a past previously unknown doctor and of course clara's been through his all his whole freaking timeline she ought to have known therefore he couldn't been but the doctor did very clearly state that that was his time lord timeline from gallifrey to trenzalore including all the days he has not yet lived yeah. so it seems perfectly reasonable to me well None of it's perfectly reasonable. What am I saying? Obviously, Clara would have been saving the 12th and on doctors as well, because they would have been part of this scattered timeline. Which we never saw. None of which we ever saw, oddly enough. Uh, well, and I mean, and I... she never saw this guy in any of the places right. either, except in that last moment. So, again, just not very well planned out. Well, I've got a, I've I've got my own theories on it, but I'm going to keep it to myself for now because really? God only knows that uh, I just I just know that when the episode when the 50th airs, which I think is when we're going to get the answer to this, I think so. that it's going to completely blow my theory out of the water. Well, you might as well give it now then because the the anniversary has already been filmed, so it's not like they're going to rewrite it because they heard your theory and go, oh no, the guys at Fusion Patrol got it. Let's rewrite. Let's rename think, him to John Harrison. Oh no, wait. I think you're. I think you're partially right uh, on some of the theories. I. I don't think that he is the real ninth Doctor, though. I think he's the real first Doctor. Hmm. I think 
because their whole issue is why did the doctor leave Gallifrey? Why did he abandon his name? Why did he become the doctor? And what is this great promise that this person broke? He broke a terrible promise, a great promise, according hmm. to, uh, yeah, what was the great promise that he broke? That's what well, Smith's doctor said. Well, I think the promise is pretty straightforward, actually. I, I, think, I don't think so. So, well, okay, what he said was straightforward. Your name is a promise. The name is the doctor. A doctor is a healer. The promise he broke is he was not a healer. I think that's I think that's really as it was relatively simplistic, mm, followed I, up by that. his line that said, I did what I did, not out of choice, but in the name of peace and sanity, which means he did something really awful in the name of peace and sanity, which mm, uh, does I, sound like what he did in the time war. But I just I just don't think so. I, I'm just I'm just not feeling that. I, I just keep getting the feeling that he's somebody that's much older that he's the reason that he became the doctor after a regeneration to William Hartnell. That's that's kind of the impression that I got out of that. Would that still make Matt Smith the 12th? It would still make Matt Smith the 12th. But RTD completely retconned all of Doctor Who and says, oh, now they can have unlimited regenerations. Well, yeah, I'm not worried about the regeneration count. It's just, for it's example... Just number. For example, in the previous episode... Uh, while Mr. Clever was in the doctor's head, he very specifically stated that he's had 10 complete rejigs of the brain, which would be 11, 10 regenerations, 11 doctors. And that was, that was talking about physiological changes. He's done, he's done it 10 times. It's, it's really tough to just really come along the next episode and slap that in the face and go, <laughs> it was 11. Okay, so let me... Th okay, so... Hmm. But that blows up any theory that he's it a does. past doctor. It really, yeah, it really ruins it. it really he's ruins got, any theory. He has to be the Valyard. He has to be. Now, the Valyard... Well... The Valyard should be the next. The, the, well, the Valyard, it's... You always got to remember, the Valyard is an amalgamation of all that is dark of the doctor throughout all of his regenerations that is, so says the master that is what he said and he also but somewhere between his, his 12th life, and final incarnation yeah but it's something it, it was it was a personality that was that had no life of its own the the i what i took out of trial of a time lord which could be totally wrong because it, it was phrased so oddly um was that you know he regenerated and during that regeneration that's the one where his personality brought forward all the really dark things that were in his heart. But but I would be more willing equally to go along and say maybe something traumatic happened halfway through a doctor's life that turned him into that. In well, which case, then it wouldn't have occurred that then the phrase sometime between your 12th and final er, 12 sometime between your 12th and final kind of implies it's something that happened midlife i don't will. know i to to try and wrap one's brain around the whole concept of the valyard is almost a fool's errand because just the very nature of the valyard serving as prosecution for the doctor in trial of a time lord makes zero sense in, ter in terms of the physical ability to be there I, i'll agree with that as well I, I, I say with Ian, you know, it's time travel. The Time Lords are capable of bringing multiple Doctors together, but it's odd that this time the Doctor didn't recognize that he himself was in the room with he himself. 
And again, what was what was it that the Valiard was attempting to do? I mean, if we were to go back to trial of a time, he was trying to get the doctor's remaining regenerations. Precisely that way, he would have a life completely unfettered by all the goodness that had kept him trapped. But if he had regenerated, then he might go back to being a good guy. Yeah. Well, be that. I I mean, we could argue this one till hell freezes over again. Uh, And we're never going to come up to any kind of satisfying answer because it was a bad premise to begin with. Yes, it was. And I guess like this story. (laughs) We've seen a repeat here. Now we've got this, this person. We have no idea who the hell he is. Matt Smith's doctor appears to be very much aware of who he is. Which would imply it's in his past, but then on the other hand, he's in his own time stream. It, it, they Maybe he's they know their own future. He may, he may already be aware of his own future. Maybe it's his own future. Oh, ah, wait a minute. Maybe. Oh, okay. How about this? Two Doctors story. I mean, we've had Two Doctors story before. What if the Eighth Doctor and the Twelfth Doctor got together to fight the Time War? And the twelfth doctor is the one that pulled the switch. Hmm. There you go. Then the eighth doctor would be aware of him, as would the ninth, tenth, and eleventh, and they'd all be ashamed of him because they knew that he that sometime in their own future he would become a creature that could destroy everything. So he didn't actually pull the switch, but he So it wasn't Paul McGann's doctor. It wasn't Paul McGann that pulled the switch. It was John Hertz. But he knew it was himself pulling the switch. Because it is. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe, but... Hell, it's just as plausible as anything they're going to come up with. I know. I I always maintain that it was Paul McGann's doctor that did it, and that's why he regenerated into that that emo uh, Chris Eccleston. But, you know, so he did regenerate, and he's, like, all freaking out when he regenerates. He's like, am I going to be the one that... (laughs) Every time he regenerates, am I going to regenerate into the one that's going to go do these horrible things? Maybe. All right, well, we have anything else in this episode? Because apart from the fact that it just, I, it just capped one, off a disappointing season for me. Just one little tiny thing. Uh, there was, when the Doctor goes into his own time stream to rescue Clara, he said that, you know, that, that she's got to you know, grab on, find her way home before the time stream collapses. Okay, so great. She gets her hands on the leaf. She hears, then she hears the Doctor's voice, not in this big, booming, echoey chamber kind of voice, but off in the distance. And then she sees the Doctor. There he is. There's this time stream behind him. And, oh, no, it's collapsed. Yes, I wondered about that myself when I saw that. Was that supposed to be the time stream, his doorway out, closing off? Or was that just... look like that. How's it going to get out now? I mean, he just picks up Clara and then he go walking off you into the distance. And that's Obviously, it. he, uh, the 10th Doctor and the Mystery Doctor are all going to team up to break out uh, of his time stream and lead us into the multi-Doctor story in the finale. Mm. One last time for Gallifrey. All right. Uh, you know, they're going to make a pact with him like they would the Master to, uh, to do what they have to do to save the universe. You know, I... I yeah, I I have to agree with you. Something you just said, and this this was uh, one nice little capper for what was largely a very disappointing season, at least a very disappointing half season. The first yeah, half yeah. wasn't you know the, all while there were some definite nits to pick with the episodes you know leading up to uh, Amy and Rory's uh, departure. I found that that first half was more tolerable than this half. Yeah, I and, I, I agree with that. And something you know, and, and again, I, I'm going to echo something that 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 I that I uh, mentioned early on and that is it somebody had said that 
this episode that it, that it added a layer of mystery and mm-hmm. i say pshaw to that because what i feel it did is it added another layer of murkiness to it mm-hmm. there's one thing about this half and we will do a wrap-up episode but not for a few weeks we'll do a wrap-up talking about the whole whole season but i i will go so far as to this because i'm gonna i'm gonna commit a heresy here because i've been thinking about this and i think that adorable though clara is and not annoying she I and mean, she's not annoying like mel she's not useless like tegan she's not you know but she's, it, she's got no idiot. she's got no bad qualities whatsoever really as a companion but she is dull she is a dull disinteresting companion she will not go down in the history of doctor who as one of the doctor's great companions i don't think i think she'll go down in the history as one of the also rands it's like oh yeah 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 that that um so-and-so was with the doctor there for a while, too. Uh, Clara, what's her name? Something well, like she's her. had moments that I thought were pretty strong. Uh, Bells of St. John, for example, I thought she was very interesting there. She was very engaging and was able to very much keep the doctor on his toes. But a lot of the other episodes, she's she in fact, she sort of reminds me of what the companions used to be during the classic series. You know, you described Mel and Tegan. I mean, that's what they were. You know, I, I think it's kind of funny that early on, in this episode, when Vastra introduces Clara to River, she refers to her as his assistant. Well, first his companion. First companion. And, and then, then she realizes that might offend River. And then she, then she turned, well, then she, she finishes off by saying his assistant. And I, and I, I stick to that one because that's what they all were during the classic Doctor Who series. They were his assistant and they were largely most of them. Not all of them, but most of them were just dull as dishwater. Yeah, yeah, it's just, you know, I think the the like in the case of Sarah Jane, um, who is so popular, and I agree, she's so popular. She's she's attractive, she's smart, she's funny. She was terrible she as a, a doctor's insistent. She was great on her own, but terrible as a doctor's companion. And and she she had a great rapport with tom baker in particular oh, yes that's true well and that was important with john pertwee she but did I, as well but but it was better with tom baker it much was, better it was much better with tom baker but that may be just that she had grown into it but um and it is that rapport with him that made her the memorable and great companion and i just don't see that when this and part of part of it's because matt smith has been standoffish about her uh and giving her a hug at the end clara my clara is not doesn't alter the fact that he seems to, he's distancing, he's distancing himself from all of them. He was distancing, distancing himself from Rory and Amy, too, with this whole, I'm going to pick you up and then I'll come back later and pick you up stuff. It's, it's a whole different dynamic, but, but Amy and Rory were interesting. And, uh, possibly because there was two of them, whatever it happens to be, but Clara is just, is not cutting it. And there's nothing that I can point my finger at to say I dislike her in any way, shape, or form. I'm just not. You know, I agree. So, I mean, I, I, I love her. I think she, she's cute. She's perky. And there and again, there are some scenes where she's not she annoying. Gets, no, she's not annoying in the slightest. She does have some scenes where there's a lot of spark. And I mean that in a good way between her and Matt Smith's doctor. Some really great, just feisty dialogue, which I love. But I when when, when we talk about that in terms of, you know, in terms of Clara, the companion. I can only think of one episode where that took place, and that is 
Battles of St. John. I can't, I mean, I don't think of that when I think of Cold War. I don't think of that in Nightmare in Silver. I don't think of that in any of them. Mm-mm. It's just not there. Well, we'll see what she goes once she's uh, hopefully past this extraordinary companion and she becomes just a real proper companion. Uh, assuming that she actually becomes a real proper companion after the 50th well, I certainly hope that, I mean, the way they the way they wrapped this up, I'm I'm hoping <laughs> that if that's a word wrapped up for yeah. I'm I'm or, yeah whatever I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm reminded actually of like a a Taco Bell burrito where if you're eating it at one end then everything pours out the other end oh yeah that's kind of what this episode felt like to me this is the end of the burrito where stuff's pouring out the backside because it was poorly made mm. yeah I remember when, when when Keith and I finished watching it Saturday we just kind of looked at each other I mean we, we for like ten minutes we couldn't talk you made that Scooby Doo noise <laughs> yeah yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, we just kind of sat there. I mean, if anybody who were to walk into our house and look at us, I mean, they could see the question marks going boing over our heads because we just had this look of total, total just incredulity. I mean, it was just, it was like, what the heck did we just see? What was that? I don't know. I didn't get any answers on the second viewing either. No, I got no answers. None. So, well, perhaps Simon has some answers. Let's see what he thought about this episode. Let's see. Answers. What have we got after the name of the Doctor? Well, the reason there are other Claras spread through time and space is because there's a doohickey that spreads Claras through time and space, of course. In other words, Clara bad-wolfed herself because the great intelligence had turn-lefted the Doctor. But then, did we see the schemes schemed by the original Great Intelligence before, or the shredded on the Timewind's Great Intelligence? Because the Claras we met before were the shredded ones. And what about the big question, Doctor Who? The answer could have been the name of the Doctor, which is obviously the Doctor, except now we discover sometimes it's not. And he has another name, name too, which post-Library River knows of course because library river knew it but we still don't but it must be the name the non-doctor goes by because he's not called the doctor except apparently he is according to the big cheesy caption that splattered all over the screen and maybe he has an alternative name like the valiant we don't know and what was the secret the doctor will take to the grave well we don't know that either because It was the grave they found, not the secret, though we know there's a secret. We don't know why he's a secret doctor. Hmm. Oh, and the fall of the 11th on the fields of Trenzalore? Well, we know the doctor must go to Trenzalore in the future, in the past, for his grave to be there. So presumably this wasn't the fall of the 11th. The silence must be pretty grumpy that the doctor not only made it there, but did so twice. Okay, so this wasn't a great episode, but it wasn't bad, I suppose, for a finale. Though in fact it felt more like one of those prelude teaser things for the 50th anniversary episode. The pacing and tone felt very off. The climactic moments were crashed. For example, there was Jenny's death, which was crashed by Strax's line bring out your women and intellectuals, which still had me guffawing as Vastra mourned. And that crime against captioning over the climax was 
worse than the 3D one letter at a time to be continued after the stolen earth. The seance thing annoyed me, not because of the magic of dreams, but because it's just too easy. What's the point of the Doctor wasting 30 seconds sonicking a mobile to make it transtemporable if he could just nod off for, for a quick 40 winks? But then I can't deny I loved the exchange between Clara and Hartnell. It looks so good. And I'm glad we got the multi-Doctor stuff out of the way. No, hang on a minute. We've got more of that, haven't we? But I did quite enjoy Doctor Spotting. I saw seven of them, though I'm told there were others and I missed them. Post-Library River was wonderful in this too. And I've got to admit it was quite a good cliffhanger. If I had a TARDIS, I would be tempted to pop six months into the future right now. All right, well, I, I guess that leaves us uh, until we do get around to a Series 7 or 7B wrap-up. I'm not sure which it'll be. Um, you know, thank everybody for putting up with our... Um, the nice Trashing. Thing. <laughs> the trash. Yeah, I feel bad about it because I still love Doctor Who, but I just I feel like we've show, been but picking not, this on... Man. We just ripped this season apart. At least not, this half of the season. It's not gone well for us on this no. episode. But it's honest. It's an honest trashing, and it's it's out of love. And <laughs> you know, it makes and it, part of me wishes that we could have. You know, I know this is this is a total pipe dream. If we could have Moffat just you know on right, the show, right on the show, and we could say, "What? What are you thinking? What is?" But wait, you told the story here, and now you're doing this here. How can you reconcile these two things? And I want him to explain it. I'm going to explain that in a later episode. Just keep watching. Uh And uh, (laughs) as he continues to paint himself into a corner, smaller and smaller and smaller. (laughs) Don't mind me as I break down this wall behind me. So (laughs) I didn't realize he was Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, It's supposed to be Scottish. Oh, okay. Uh, Um, We'll um, next week. We're going to be uh, breaking from our standard TV fair, and we're going to be talking about a movie, and that will be Star Trek Into Into Darkness. And uh, we'll see if perhaps we can have something that we won't rip to shreds through lots of venom and problems with continuity. You're tipping your hand there. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. All right. (laughs) We'll see you again next time on Fusion Patrol. End of line. Fusion Patrol is a Lone Locust production. Like us? Leave us a review on iTunes. Or stop by and visit at our website fusionpatrol.com find us on facebook or twitter search for fusion patrol or just drop us a note at feedback at fusionpatrol.com our music is fight the future by amber wolf